Welcome to Out of Game Episode 6. In today's episode, we'll announce our first ever contest, give a mini-review of the game Five Tribes, and discuss how to make smart game purchases. This is your host, Ryan. Join me and Chris as we go Out of Game. Welcome to uh, episode six of Out of Game. I'm Ryan. And I'm Chris. I realize that we've never actually said our names. Well, I don't think we should do that more often. Yeah. So in case Although, you didn't I don't think it. we're I don't think it's easy to confuse us. It's probably true. Ryan is the one that knows everything about every game ever made. At least games that have been made in the last three years. Um, so uh, this episode, what are we going to talk about? Well, we've... We have a new game to discuss called Five Tribes. Yes, we do. We're not going to do a formal review of it uh, because we kind of liked the the format of last time. We're going to continue that for a while, but we will highlight it. And I guess I should uh, apologize because I did promise an RPG topic this episode, but we have changed our mind. We pulled an audible. We called an audible. We called an audible. I, I watch a lot of sports. So, so um, instead of that, we're going to talk about how to make smart game purchases. As in the store or online. The Correct. decision-making process. Exactly. Yeah, how to be smart about making game purchases. And when will we be doing the RPG discussion? I think we'll probably do the RPG discussion in two episodes. I'm looking forward to that. Episode six and eight. Six plus, what's six plus two? Let's, eight. It's eight, let's book it. All right. Episode eight. Episode eight will be the, R, the first RPG discussion, which will make our slogan valid. <laughs> also, hopefully you've noticed, but we are using some new recording equipment. Yeah, let's hope that it's noticed. This is pretty fancy, a lot of flashing lights. Yeah, I'll post a picture of it. It's, uh, I had to uh, reach out to some fellow podcasters that are in a league well above us and ask them what kind of stuff they use. And it's the best way to do it. You yeah. know, see what you'd like as far as how does it sound as the listener and then copycat that. Yes. It's, hopefully it sounds pretty good now. And I, you know, I did some testing with it. So hopefully it, it sounds, it should sound a lot better. Let us know how it sounds on our forum. So yeah, we had a game night recently. Chris and I were both there, played a, a few games but wanted to touch on one that, honestly, I wasn't sure if Chris was going to like this game. Yeah, the prediction was that I would not. Yeah, I, I thought he was going to hate it, actually. I even I think I even <laughs> recommended that he didn't play yeah, it. Yeah, use the word hate. <laughs> and the reason I thought, I thought uh, that you would hate it, I don't even remember what the reason was. The reason was uh, the random, the, the fact that you're, you're turn, you can be affected by... Acts of other players that That's are right. unpredictable. Right, which Chris doesn't like. <laughs> right. Well, it, it does detract a little bit. And as I was writing my notes for today's podcast on the game, I wrote down my pros and cons. And the pros are, it's a long list. I, I ended up really liking the game. In fact, one of the strangest things, the complaints we got from the, the group of four that we had that played it, was that the game is called Five Tribes. Right. But there's only four players allowed. Yeah, that is a little, a little misleading. weird. The but five the, tribes are within the game mechanic itself. You know what, though? There were five player aids in the box, so I'm wondering if they're planning to make a fifth-player expansion or something. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, it's very limiting to create a game and then have it 
be limited to a specific number of players like that. And then, you know, you want a greater audience, obviously, to sell games. So why not create the expansion? Right. So what are your thoughts? What were your thoughts on Five Tribes? Well, okay. One of the other reasons that I like the game is I sort of, I won, I won the game <laughs> and it can't help but make you like the game more. Right. I don't know if that's a selfish emotion or not, but it's our first time playing it. I had, it was a roller coaster ride for me. You know, there were times that I felt I really enjoyed it. I, the mechanic, which we'll talk about in a second, is very interesting and different. And I, I enjoyed it, but then there were times that I felt the turns were very slow, hmm. and I'm waiting too long and things like that, and it was it was getting a little distracting. And then there was one time you were going to assassinate one of my meeples, yeah, and I knew that if you did, I it would have I I didn't think I was going to win anyway, but I knew for sure that I wouldn't <laughs> if that happened. And again, I had no control over your decision there, and you ended up not doing it, yeah. So it was an up and down uh, ride. And I think even, honestly, even if I didn't win the game, I still would have enjoyed it. It's not because I wanted the game. Mm-hmm. There, were, there were some interesting things about this game. The engine, the engine of picking up the pieces and moving them along the board. I don't know if you want to describe that, but I found that it, it made me think in a way that I haven't thought about in some of the other games. Yeah, so I'll do just do a quick, a quick description. So basically... The way this game works is you you pick up a group of there's there's a grid of I think six by five tiles and the tiles are all random. Each tile has three meeples on it. And the meeples are all different colors. So on your turn, you pick up a group of meeples from a tile and then you do like mancala, which Chris doesn't know what mancala is, but you, you you do like a mancala thing where you you're dropping them off one by one and moving through the tiles and then the last tile you end up on whatever meeple you have in your hand, like if it's a red meeple, you would pick up all the red meeples on that last tile. And then each color meeple has a certain action associated with it. So if you would get to do the action associated with those colors, and the more of them you had, it, the better the action would be. Right. And I'll tell you why I liked it. As you were describing it just now, a lot of, a lot of my feelings came back to me. So we talked in a previous podcast about strategy versus tactics when it comes to playing a game. And this game is very heavily a tactical game. Right. Where... You don't know what the board is going to look like by the time it's your turn again. After you take turn two, when you take turn three, the board could be a billion different combinations. So it's really impossible to plan that far ahead. Right. And I enjoy games like this where it's very tactical. You've got to think on your feet. Uh, Five Tribes allows you many ways to get victory points. It's not just uh, one specific strategy. So by the time your turn comes around, you're, you have to think on your feet a little bit and... Uh, figure out what your strategy is or tactics are just for that particular turn. Right. And I, I enjoyed that. So the downside of that, and this was the question I had to Chris going in, was what's worse to you, waiting for your turn or uh, or when people do things that can screw up your turn? Because, because the game is very tactical and you can't plan ahead, that means all of the planning that you do for your turn starts at the beginning of your turn. You, did, you really couldn't think much about your turn beforehand because the board state changes so much between right. your turns. And so there's a t- there could be, if there's someone with major analysis paralysis, their turns could take a long time because they're looking for that optimal move. Right, right. And those are, those are both, I feel like a very high-maintenance player when you, when you <laughs> worded it that way. But it's, it's true that um, you know, I, if, if you have to wait for a long time, 
You know, it's one thing to wait in a game like Cyclades, where in Cyclades it's another tactical game, but you can the, the, you see the whole board there, and you can really begin to think about which god am I going to bid on on my next turn, for example. What, ha- what happens during this wave of turns isn't going to affect that decision. So there are some things you can consider. In five tribes, there's really nothing, not much you can consider because the board is so dynamic. So the strength of the game is also a little bit of the weakness of the game where, uh, yeah, it's fun because this board is continually changing, but at the same time, I can't plan ahead. So please take your turn quickly. Yeah. The other difference is in a game like Cyclades, just to use that example again, because the games are very similar in some ways. The picking up of the meeples, that that action. There's so many combinations of what you can do when it's your turn. Yeah, I mean, literally, I don't know what the math is, but if you sat and figured it out and you got out your paper and pencil if you had to, you could mathematically determine the best move. Yeah. And that that's bad yeah. because now, as you said, analysis process sets in. If how badly do you want to win? Well, let, give me a minute. I'm going to take my turn, but first, I'm going to work out every possible move. That's that's bad. That's a bad form, yeah. <laughs> right. So I know for sure on my turns I wasn't doing that. Uh, I'm I don't have a brain that can even do it that way anyway. Yeah. You know, I I wanted to take a decent turn, but I'm very plugged in. To other people checking out if my turn is taking too long and I, I i'll hurry it along uh, even to the point of screwing my turn up yeah so for me what i would do because i'm not really good at optimizing moves i'm not really good at board games so i got i got last in this game and i was the person who had played it before but but what i would do on my turn is i would just have kind of a number in my head of what a good turn was and i would just try to reach that if i found a move that would kind of reach that i would just do it i have to say something about what you just said a minute ago okay (laughs) you'd probably either deserve to win or to come in second though the moves you were making i learned a lot about the game just by watching what you're doing and uh, you know the assassinating the square with one yeah that there there are little strategic things that we're using the rules in a way that is, is smart and it's effective and like joel and i weren't doing that and you and dave were kind of taking the lead there i don't know how you came in last yeah, i don't know i don't I'm, know I'm not either sure how that happened i thought i was doing a lot better and then when we've tallied right. the scores i was surprised and what was even to add salt to the wound is when i tallied the scores i was in last and then um joel noticed that i actually was 10 points lower than <laughs> than i had on the score sheet so it was even like a worse score yeah so, uh, that's that's not good yeah but any other thoughts on five Again, tribes it's complex without being overwhelming which is a good thing uh, if you like bidding, mm-hmm. like uh, games like Cyclades or Demi- Demi- no uh, Power Grid, yep. uh, this game has a good bidding engine. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. There's many ways to win. That's something we cited earlier on what makes a good game. The cons, um, a little too random for me with some of the things. Uh, a little slow, waiting for people. Uh, there's a kingmaker problem where it's not as cutthroat because you don't always know who's in the lead. Yeah. You know, like on some of the other games where you get your tracking victory points on the outer edge of the board. Right. This one you don't know, so it's hard to to do like a cutthroat, go after the leader type thing. But there is a kingmaker element. Uh, but overall, it was a good game. I'm looking forward to playing again. Yeah, I think this is, um, this is a candidate to maybe uh, breach my top 10. I I need to play it some more, but I think I told you one of the reasons I like alien frontiers is that it is, it's also very tactical Yeah, and I like tactical games because it, 
I don't like planning ahead like two or three moves. That's why I hate chess because it, it it's not fun for me. It's it's like work. Yeah, I don't want to be like working. I work enough, you know, during the week. I when understand. I'm playing a game, I just want to enjoy myself. And you know, planning ahead a little bit is fine, but. This game, you know, is really tactical, which I really enjoy. What so. other games would you define as too strategic? Like, not, not just chess, but like a board game. Um, well, you mentioned Power Grid. I think that's one that, that is very strategic, where you have to really plan ahead. Dominion. Um, yeah, and I actually, I don't really like deck builders for that reason. Yeah. I'm not even good at, at planning ahead, like, build, like, talking about deck building, like building a magic deck. That's basically, like, planning ahead, like... To the tenth degree, and I'm and I'm horrible at that. Even when I have hours and hours to figure out how to build it, I'm still not good at it. So, yeah. Anyways, yeah, not but, my thing. But but five tribes overall, you would say close to a top ten. It could be. Yeah, it might it might break in. You know, I've actually played it more than once, so that might knock out a couple of games that I didn't even finish or only played once. Um, but we'll see. Next time we do our top 10, we'll have to see if it reached. But if you haven't played this game, I definitely recommend that you, you go out and give it a try. It's a really fun game. Um, I've also been doing a lot of gaming with my wife. So I've noticed as <laughs> since I've had my second child that we have pretty much zero time to do anything. Uh, by the time uh, you know both the kids are in bed, it's usually 10 or 10.30 at night. But we still like to play games together, so I had to figure out like what kind of games can we play in just like a half hour to forty five minutes that aren't just boring or just complete luck based games. So I I kind of went on a mission to find some games that would fit that bill, and um, I think I mentioned one on a previous episode, uh, Biblios. That was one of the first. Well, that was actually the second one that I found that's fit this. Uh, and what I specifically have looked for was originally I was looking for games that were specifically made for two players. But what I found was that games that are really text heavy and you have to like, you have to read a lot on the cards, you know, Mm -hmm. when it's late at night and it's like closer to bedtime, that's, it's really difficult to learn a game like that. And, and Esther will just like fall asleep when I'm trying to teach it. So I needed games that had, that were completely language independent, no, no reading texts at all but that had enough strategy to be engaging, but I have to be able to teach them in like five minutes. Anything longer than five minutes teaching time, um, I'll, I'll lose her because it's, it's just late yeah. at night. So anyways, Biblios was one that I found. Um, and this game isn't in print all the time. It's like a 2007 game, but for, it's in print right now. So I would check this game out. It's only like a $15 game. Um, but Biblios is one we played a lot. Jaipur is another one. And I'm not going to go into the details of all these, but... I'll make, I'll post a list of these games on our forums, but if you're if you're like me and you'd have very limited game time and you want to play games with your spouse, uh, I think I've got a pretty good list of games that I could recommend for that. Uh, so I just wanted to, to touch on that a little bit. Speaking of games, there's some board game awards recently on the Board Game Geek called the Golden Geek Awards. Golden Geek. And you know one of the one of the oddly the Board Game Geek Awards, which have been out for a while. <laughs> um, have not had a board game podcast award, but they've had a role playing game podcast award for I don't know how many years. Hmm. So I don't understand that, but they finally uh, have an award for best board game podcast. So I think we probably got three nominations: me and Chris, and then our fan body. <laughs> so 
I appreciate anyone who went out and voted for us. Maybe I have that wrong. Uh, we did not get in the list of official nominations, but next year, maybe next year. You know, that should be one of our goals. Yeah, it's something to shoot for. You know, if we actually make it on the Dice Tower Network, there's a slim chance. There's yeah, a slim we, chance. we almost don't deserve it until we get this audio equipment anyway. Yeah. So now we're, we're more what you call an official podcast with this equipment. The sound issues are worked out, and it should be smooth from now on. Yeah. Maybe we'll get that nomination in 16. Yeah. And, you know, my I thought I had made a pretty good case for nominating us because you could nominate 10 podcasts, and who listens to 10 podcasts? So, you know, my idea was just throw a vote our way if you've got an extra one. You probably don't listen to 10 anyways. So, you know, maybe we got a couple votes. I don't know. I'll never find out. Maybe next year. But Bonnie, I appreciate you. And Bonnie even made a post on our forums about it, which I thought was cool. So thanks. Cool. Thanks, Bonnie, and anyone else that went out to give us a nomination. So, Chris, do you uh, you follow Kickstarter at all? No. Yeah. You know what? I'm the only one that doesn't. Yeah. Actually, I don't really anymore either. I'm kind of tired and done with Kickstarter. But there's this game on Kickstarter that is. I think the last time I checked, they've almost reached $4 million in backing. What? <laughs> and it's this stupid card game. So I guess there's a webcomic called The Oatmeal, which I've never heard of. Uh, but they're the ones who did the art for this game. And I think maybe the creators of Oatmeal created this game too. But the game looks really stupid. But it's like, I think it's almost double the most any other board game Kickstarter's ever wow. made. Just this dumb little card game. So I just found that interesting that such a stupid game could get, could raise $4 million. Yeah, Kickstarter is amazing for that reason. I mean, people, they, they're giving their money to, to some of the stuff. $4 million. Yeah. Insane. Man. So I, I don't understand what, why this has become such a phenomenon. Phenomenon or phenomena? Phenomenon. 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 Yeah. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, exploding kittens. Go out and check it out and back it. I guess since that's the thing to do. Well, let's not let's not encourage that. <laughs> um, you know, we should have done a Kickstarter for our audio equipment. You're right. Why don't we think of that? Maybe we'll, maybe we can do it after the fact. <laughs> no, we'll think of something else. <laughs> you know, a lot of uh, a lot of other podcasts do what's called something called Patreon, where people support you like on an episode by episode basis. Uh-huh. So I actually support The Secret Cabal, my favorite podcast, uh, through Patreon. Maybe we'll do that someday. I don't know. I don't think we're, we have a right to ask anyone for money at this point. Yeah, I don't think so. We have to earn that right. We do. <laughs> That's pretty much all I had. Anything, uh, anything you had at the, the well, intro here? So what about Gen Con? Oh, yes. Gen Con Reg. I accidentally skipped over yes. that bullet item. So Gen Con registration this year was a little different than before. So before, you basically have to be ready. The moment that room reservations went live, you just had to open the website as fast as you could and get get in line to book your rooms. Which is usually early February. Yeah. And if you didn't get on within the first hour or get into the site to book a room, you, you couldn't get a room. <laughs> that was you, couldn't, you couldn't get a room that was within walking distance. Right. Yeah, you couldn't you, get a room you'd downtown. You'd be on the outer rim of rooms where you'd have to drive to the convention, Yeah, which you don't want to do. So every year, well, over the, the past couple of years, I've been the guy that's that's got on and done this You know, when the reservation went live. Well, this year they changed it to this lottery system, which at first sounded better. 
Like I, I was actually hopeful that we would get a better room, like the room we actually wanted this time. Right. Where it didn't matter when you logged into the portal, it just mattered that you had a badge when the when the registration went live. Right. So everyone who had a badge uh, got entered into this lottery. So when you logged into your account, it would show it would have a countdown on there when you could actually buy your 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 hotel room. So we were pretty, you know, we kind of game the system. We have four people going. So I got, I collected everyone's login info. Uh, so all four of us. So we would get four entries into the lottery and pick the earliest one. Now, as luck would have it, I'm, I'm always the most um, habitually unlucky person in our group. So I knew without a doubt that if I just used my account, we would not get a hotel room. And sure enough, when time came around, my slot was, I think, three and a half hours into, <laughs> into registration. Gosh. And uh, Dave, who is notoriously the guy that always gets the things, just like the notoriously annoying guy. Yeah, he's always checked out. Right. He doesn't help clean up the board <laughs> at the end. You know, he barely even registered for right. Gen Con on time. Yeah, and he got the earliest slot. Yeah. Now, something I didn't tell you, Chris, was I heard afterwards that People who bought their badges after reservations went live somehow got moved to the front of the queue. Ooh. So there was like a bug in the system. And I think, I don't, I didn't get all the details on this, but there were some scenarios where Gen Con was giving people money to like make up for some fault of the system they wow. had. I can't remember exactly what happened, but we got a room. So, you know, we're all set because of Dave's time slot. Yeah. I heard after like an hour and five minutes. Uh, you couldn't get a room anymore. And we got in at 55 minutes. When, when you say not get a room anymore, just to be clear, within walking distance. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I sh- yes, I should clarify. Yeah. A, a good room. Yeah. You know, yeah, one of the good ones. A low maintenance room. Yeah. When you're there for the weekend, it's a four day weekend. You really don't want to spend any time driving because you're there. We're there till like three, four in the morning. Mm-hmm. And uh, the last thing you want to do, you know, you're, you're baked at that point. You don't want to get in your car and drive 20 minutes through downtown Indianapolis to to your room. Right. You want to just take the five-minute walk and just crash. And uh, so it, it it's, makes the experience a lot more fun having the, the good room. Yeah, and one thing I forgot to mention is they also changed something with the they have their policy that in order to stay through the weekend, you had to have a minimum of a three-night stay, which actually kind of hosed us because we usually have a two-night stay. Chris and everyone else usually comes on Friday and, and leaves on Sunday. And I'm always there by myself early. Yeah. So, but good for me because now it sounds like um, everyone else is going to come up a day earlier yeah. if, uh, if their schedules work out. So, but we're paying more. We, were, we actually had decided that we were going to pay for the room regardless, regardless yeah. of if, if everyone came. It's worth it. I mean, we're splitting the room four ways anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, Gen Con Reg, uh, you know, I think it was a good idea to do the lottery but some bugs to work out for next time yeah i like that we have four options to choose from with regard to our lottery yeah that makes a big difference yep so uh i think that's it for the beginning here and we're gonna start a new section a new segment, a new segment. of the podcast and it's called grill ryan yeah! now with grill ryan the object of this segment is to give Ryan some some quick hitting questions. We'll say five questions and we don't really want a long answer on the questions. We want him to be spontaneous. He doesn't know what these questions yeah, are. Yeah, I'm be. a little nervous. 
He's got to kind of think on his feet and give the best possible answer, and we'll try to move it along quickly. You know, if uh, we get into something interesting, we could stay with it. But, you know, I'm curious to know what he thinks about some of these things. He is what we would call the game expert on this podcast. So, so his opinions could be interesting. So just tell me when you're ready, and I'll start throwing questions All at right, you. hold on. Let me get a drink of caffeine here. Yeah, I need to, need to get the coffee going for this. <sighs> All right, I'm ready. Okay. What game... Do you wish other people liked more so that we could play it more often as a group? Like a game that maybe you think is fun, but we just never play it. Or maybe something new that you haven't unwrapped yet. Uh, but something that you wished other people liked more than they do. Okay, I'm just going to give you the first one that comes to mind. Really, this could be any game that has a long rules explanation. <laughs> but one, one specifically that I've had for a long time that we've not been able to play. It's a new one. It's called Wiz War. And I've even told you about this game before. <laughs> I was in the middle of taking a drink of water when he said the name of the game, and I almost destroyed our brand new equipment. <laughs> That's true. So Wiz War is it's like a it's like you're in this maze and you're all wizards and you have you have spells that you and you're just like fighting to the death. And it, it sounds really fun, but I know that it's going to be a lot of work to have everyone in the group focus long enough for me to explain the rules. I understand. That's a good answer. So, so the games that take a longer explanation, you, you just know that it's not going to be enjoyable for us to go through that. Yeah. So, so it makes you not want to do it. So categorically out of the, Oh, by the way, magic number right now, 48 out of the 48 games I have on my shelf that I've not yet played. I've only allotted maybe six of those for our Wednesday game group. Because the rest of them, I think, are too... The rules explanation is too long for you guys That's, to be able to handle. Okay. All right. I'm going to move right along because we could get tangent yep. on that. Okay. Next question. What would you rather do? Would you rather be known for inventing your own hit board game? Or would you rather be known for being a champion caliber player in an existing game? Like like a like magic or diplomacy or some some board game out there where that's a tournament worthy game it would definitely be the first one inventing i'd rather be known for inventing a cool board game that people enjoy because because for me gaming is about enjoyment and being the champion at something that's only enjoyment for me whereas i could create something that everyone enjoyed that's very selfless that's how I am, you know. That's how you roll. I'm a humanitarian. Well, I actually predicted that answer, and I said, if inventing was the answer, just a quick follow-up. What style of game would you be most interested in inventing? You know, of all the different game types that are out there, mm-hmm. you know, dice games, card games, uh, you know. Uh, no, this is easy. So it, it, would be a, it would be a hidden role game, similar to the games that we enjoy. But like, you hate those games. No, I don't hate them. You hate lying is what you hate. Yeah. Okay. But I still have such a blast playing those games, roll. and I, I think I could create one that's better than other ones that are out there. Okay, that's good. Okay, next question. Okay. What makes a game better? And this is just in general, not to name a specific game, but just in general. What makes a game better, cards or dice? Dice. That was a fast answer. Dice. I love games with dice, but not not rolling dice in a random way. I like games that use dice in an interesting way, like Alien Frontiers. Or especially I love games that have custom dice. Or like are dice that will give you actions and they'll have like cool dice faces or die faces. Mm-hmm. Love games like that. Okay, good answer. Yeah. Next question. Why has the board gaming industry become so popular? 
is it is it something that's cyclical like like will it fade or is there a reason that it's so hot right now i think that inside of everybody is a board gamer waiting to get out so almost everyone plays board games growing up i mean not everyone but a lot of people play games like monopoly or whatever Mm -hmm. growing up and i think they a lot of people believe that they outgrow board gaming because those games are you know some of them aren't very strategic or could be considered childish games and when people realize that there's actually good games out there that are for adults and are strategic can make you think and you're also socializing with people and having fun uh i think it's like you have this revelation at some point when you discover those types of games you have this revelation that board games are not just for kids and it's okay to play them. And I think there's a second thing, too, which is that the geek culture is becoming more of popular culture. And so board games, which could be considered geeky, um, are becoming more... Being geeky is becoming cool. Right. So that is, it's kind of um, tailgating that you know, into pop culture. Thank you, Big Bang Theory, for that. Yeah, <laughs> true. <laughs> All right, good answer. All right, last question. All right. Let's say there was a, a Hunger Games situation where it's a battle to the death, literally to the death, but and it's you versus four other people, but it was a board game that it, you had to play versus it, like, you know, you're running around in the woods with a bow and arrow. You're playing a board game to the death. Whoever, whoever wins is the only one that gets to live okay. in this board game. You got to choose the game. What game would you choose in that situation and why? Okay, this is a tough one, but it's it's kind of it's kind of a way to ask what game do you think you would have the best chance of winning? Right, but if that's you're against the wall. So my, I hate to I hate to do this, but I have to. My my best skill in any game that we have is staying alive in lifeboats. Oh man! <laughs> so, but I don't think that would be the game. It it would almost. <laughs> I'd really tried hard not to say it. Okay. But that would be it. It would but so actually you know what I think it would be? It would be like Survivor the board game. Survivor the board game. Because I could I think I could keep make it so that people did not want to kill me. I'm I'm trying to decide if I can allow that as the answer because it's not really a game. But Lifeboats. Counts. That that would count as a game. So But I don't win it at that. So that's well, why you could be the last one standing. That's possible. Well, you said if you win, though. You have That's to true. win. You have to win. So it has to be a game where the, the way you win is surviving to the end. Maybe a cooperative game. It had to be a game where you voted, you voted someone out. Not because you thought they were bad or were going to do something, but that's just the rules of the game. That's why Survivor came to mind. I see. Yeah, that is your skill. <laughs> All right. So, Grill Ryan, there's no right or wrong answer to these questions. It's just interesting to see what you say. Thank you for participating. And uh, the next time we do this segment, I'll come up with even harder questions. Oh, great. I'm really looking forward to that. Oh, (laughs) yeah. All right. Moving on, now that I I faked my way through those questions, going to move on to some fake it till we make it. To be a great champion, you must believe you are the best. If you are not, pretend you are. The Dice Tower question of the week. This week, 
and I guess when this post will be last week, is what was the best game from the year 2000? 2000. You know, that that's 15 years ago. That is quite a while ago. That's a long time. So, Chris, did you... Uh, what, what, what are your thoughts on this question? So, <laughs> the best game of 2000, it didn't really have a lot to choose from from yeah. that year. So, I went with uh, Cosmic Encounter. Oh. Cosmic Encounter is an interesting game. We have not... Our, our group has not played that game a lot, but we, I think we played two or three times in however many years. Um, there's some really good things about this game, though. It's, it's a cutthroat game. It's not a kingmaker, uh, which... Anybody who's heard the other podcast knows I prefer the cutthroat games over the Kingmaker games. Um, I like the way there's random alien powers in this game. It's yeah. not like something you decide, I'm going to be this race of aliens, so I get this power. It's random. Uh, I like that you're given... Um, given the, This was the game... We played this game, and you had a random power that allowed you to cheat. Yeah. Do you remember that? I, I loved that one. That's called the Filch. Yeah, and that allowed Ryan, if nobody was looking, he could actually mess with the game. You know, yeah. he could steal, he could like move things around. It was within the rules because it said it was his power. When that happened and I saw that game and I saw everybody kind of had like very interesting, some more powerful than other uh, uh, powers or abilities for, for their, um, their, their alien race, it it's kind of one of those light switch moments that went on for me that I, I really liked that game. I, it was, it was a very different thing where nobody saw you cheating, but after the game was over and you kind of explained what happened, it was, it was hilarious. It was, it was a great game. So I enjoyed um, the games we played at cosmic encounter. That game happened to be released in 2000. Yeah. So that would be my choice for best game. Okay. 2000. So, one thing, one caveat to your choice: the version that came out in two thousand is not the one that we played. What's what, what's different about it? It's well, the one we played is the Fantasy Flight one. I, I but I think the games are pretty similar. Like the gameplay would have been almost identical. Okay, because um, I almost chose that too. Uh, so uh, the other thing I want to say about this, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna rehash the story here, but the Dice Tower podcast does a something called Tales of Amazement. And you've got to go listen to, I think it was this most recent episode. So the episode that came out the week of uh, uh, February 9th. They're, they do a tale of amazement about somebody using that power in a game of Cosmic Encounter mm-hmm. they, where they explain everything that they did. It was hilarious. So I, I highly recommend you go listen to that. Okay, so my best game of, of the year 2000, and again... I didn't get into gaming until a few years ago, and I think this is the same problem Chris was having. So the, there weren't a ton of games to choose from. There are some good games on there, like Carcassonne would be a, an, a, a worthwhile game to mention. Um, but I don't really like Carcassonne that much. So I chose the game Princes of Florence, which is one of the older games that I have on my shelf that I just recently got to play. I think I said then that, that this is a... It's, it's like a classic Euro game, and... I'm really glad I played it because I really enjoyed it. So that would be my pick. Princes of Florence? The Princes of Florence. Okay. Um, I wanted to give an honorable mention, though, to a game that probably most gamers would maybe even be embarrassed to say, and that is Electronic Catchphrase. Have you ever played Catchphrase? Never. Catchphrase is a great game. It's like it's a party game where you'll be, on like, you'll be in a team, right, and you have this device that um, it has different categories, and then you, 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 you start it. And it starts beeping, right? It's like hot potato. And it'll have a word on there. And all you have to do is just get your team to guess what word it is, 
just by explaining it however whatever way you can and then as soon as your team gets it you pass it to the left and like everyone that's sitting in the circle every other person in the circle is on your team so okay. when you pass it you're passing it to, to the, the other, other team, team. Okay. and the timer is going to run out whoever gets stuck with it loses you know and the scoring is built right in you just play to like seven points it's a really fun party game or family game that you can play with anyone so i don't think a lot of gamers would admit that that's a good game but i'm i'm going to call it out right now that electronic catchphrase is is a worthy game from the year 2000 yep good now uh next year or (laughs) next year next week Okay, let me let me try this one more time. This week, this week, <laughs> this week, the question is: um, How do you like to play Settlers of Catan? Now, this question is open for interpretation. We're not exactly sure what it <laughs> what they mean by this, so we're just going to give it our best stab. How do you like to play it? Yeah. So, Chris, what? How would you interpret this question? I like to play Settlers of Catan fully clothed. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Is that what they meant? Um, you know, I hope so, because I would never have asked you to play that game. And la- <laughs> I like to play Settlers of Catan sober. Yeah, me too. Okay. What else could they mean? I don't know. I think, Expansion? I think, that's, I think that's what they mean. They could mean, like, what's your strategy, maybe? We played Settlers of Catan in the uh, Guinness Book of World Records record-breaking game. That's true. We, were, we both participated in that. That was, was that 2013? It was, and actually, I just am going to change my answer because of that because I forgot about that. Yeah, if it, if the question is what style do you like to play, Settlers of Catan, as far as the the board format and and that, my choice would be the Guinness Book of World Records game of 2013, <laughs> yeah. where we were paired with a couple thousand other nerds who got <laughs> in this huge gigantic room. They yep. funneled us in. It was one of the most well organized things. That's true. It was seen. You know, they it wasn't assigned seating, but they had us going in there. You know, it was a, it was really down to a science the way they funneled everybody in. They sat you down. They explained the rules. Imagine explaining the rules to that many people. Yeah, how to play this record breaking game. Yep. But uh, it was a good time. I remember enjoying that. I didn't do very well in the game, but it was it was fun to be part of that. Yeah, that was amazing. Actually, there's a picture of that. I believe I have that up on our Twitter as our Twitter background. It's a picture that. They a professional photo that they took of the room. Yeah, that's right. And it was focused on cr- me and Chris. Yeah, it's like sitting next to each other playing. It's not the best picture in the world. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that that was a Guinness picture. Yeah, and what's cool about what the reason I have that picture is a, a friend of mine randomly saw that on the Mayfair Games website and wow. tagged me in it on Facebook. Wow. So I, I saved it, and they actually took it down after I saved it. So, But we have it wow. for posterity. Do you know if they ever did the Guinness again? Did they redo that again? No, they didn't. So last year, I think they did the Cones of Dunshire thing instead. That's good. Because when they offered the, the chance to be part of the Guinness record in 2013, we were very excited. You know, just It's something to be, to be part of that. And, and then there were rumors that in 2014 they were going to do the same thing again. Yeah. And so what it kind of makes it not as important not as interesting what we did in 2013 if they're just going to do it again yeah do you remember what we were going to do if they did that no we were going to spread a rumor of the world that we that we were organizing we we're going to hang up flyers and everything that we were organizing the world's largest werewolf game and we were going to post them around at the same time as the guinness book attempt so that they couldn't break our record from 2013 yeah, we yeah. <laughs> so that would have been funny but you know the other way we could have interpreted that game is how do you like to play the game like strategy wise yeah 
So did you have an answer for that? I did. You know, it's funny. When I read this question, I was thinking about it. I, who, who knows what exactly they mean? But <laughs> I, I actually thought about this for a minute and realized something that I didn't know, that when I do play Catan, I haven't played in a while, uh, there is a strategy I have, and I think it's unconscious. I don't think I consciously know that I'm doing this. but And I'm not a very good player at Catan. I don't win a lot of those games, but I do enjoy it. Um, I tend to go for cards. You know, yeah. I'll go for the cards. Like the development cards? Yes. Is that what they're called? Yeah. The development cards. I don't go for, like, the bricks early on. I go for the ore. Huh. And I like to appear that I'm losing. So okay. that Because Settlers of Catan is a very cutthroat game. You know, they, they hit you with the robber when you start mm-hmm. getting mm-hmm. far ahead. If I don't have bricks, I'm not building roads and, and doing well, then they tend to leave you alone, at least in theory. But ore is very good in the in late game. And so yeah. I like to come on strong at the end with the ore. And then I've got all the cards. So maybe I could get like a longest road or I could I could do the knights, you know. Yeah. So that's kind of I didn't realize that that's what I did though until I started thinking about it for this question. So do you is there any chance that part of that is the is the ADD thing? The, let me let me tell you why I'm asking this. So okay. I, I have an I have a friend that isn't really a gamer, but he I think he has AD, some form of ADD. Okay. And when I taught him to play Settlers of Catan, first of all, the whole time I was teaching him the game, he was like spacing out. Right. So when we played, I don't think he remembered everything. Mm-hmm. So he just bought cards the whole game. That's the only thing he did. He didn't build any. Well, I mean, if he would build roads if he had a card that let him build roads, mm-hmm. then he would steal resources with the Monopoly card. But basically, all I did was take cards and and. Like I, th- I don't even remember who won, but he got nine points at the end. Wow! From that, well, that goes to another point with settlers. I think you can win that game without trying to win. If that makes sense, it depends on how much trading you guys do in your game. But in games with not a lot of trading, it's really up to the dice and what what comes up. Uh, I've had games where, like, I'm playing, um, I'm playing these games, and I'm I don't even I'm not even really trying to win. Like, if if when I was teaching my kids how to play. And sometimes I'll just back into a win. I'll like I'll just happen to get all the resources that I need, and and it just comes together. Somebody with ADHD, you know, when we learn games, we we have to learn by doing. So he's checked out when you're explaining it because he's going to learn the game by playing the game. That's yeah. how we that's how we roll. So you know, it's almost a throwaway game for him. You know, he's buying a lot of cards because it's it's simple to do. Yeah, you know what you need to do. The the other things aren't that complicated either, but. He'll probably if you guys played again, if you played three more times, he would do something different. Okay, yeah, I was just a curious, curious because when you mentioned that, I realized that that I've seen that before. So I, I actually interpret this question as you know, how do you play? How do you like to play it? And I, I'm one of those people that doesn't. I don't necessarily like expansions, and and I and I interpreted this as like what expansions do you use? Because there's a lot of different expansions for it. Um, so I just like the base base sellers of Catan, although. It's really hard not to say a world record attempt because that was really fun. Yeah. But, you know, day to day, Settlers of Catan, I would just prefer to play the base game, not even with the five or six player expansion. Just how many expansions are there? Gosh, I don't know. There's at least five. And did I, they change the name to just Catan? They did. That was a recent thing. They, they standardized the name to Catan, yeah. which is. Interesting, because most people call it settlers that I know. They don't call it Catan. <laughs> they just took that out of the equation, and they changed the art to like this really minimalist uh, logo. I don't know. It's interesting. I, I guess that means they're going to release a new version of it. Yeah. But yeah, so base game for me. 
You know, uh, for anybody who really likes Catan, I know that not a lot of games translate well to uh, like the tablet and PC. The the iPad game of Settlers of Catan is very good. The AI is decent, and you can get a game in pretty quickly. Nice thing about it, of course, is there's not all the boards set up. Yeah. But if you're looking just to play like a solo game, I think you can play networked as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would recommend that. Yeah. I've actually played, not on the iPad, but I have it on like my Xbox 360. Do you? Yeah, and I played it a lot on there. It's, yeah. uh, I actually learned some strategies by doing that. Cool. So, okay. So that was our, uh, those are fake it till we make it. So, um, again, faking it till we make it, we've extended that, and we are doing our first ever contest. The contest. Now, when we originally came up with the idea of a contest, my first thought was, I'm just going to have to buy a game, and we're going to give it away. So let's make it an inexpensive game, because right. you know we don't have loads of cash to just give away. Uh, but you know, I thought I'd give it a chance. And just send out an, an email to uh, a company and see if they would give us anything. So I emailed Bezier Games, of course, because of course. they are the creators of One Night Ultimate Werewolf. Of course. And what I asked him, Ted Alsbach is the, the owner of Bezier Games. He also is the designer of a lot of their games. And I, I just simply asked him, well, I basically begged him <laughs> saying that, <laughs> I love your company, which is true. I love I love a lot of the Bezier games. I think Suburbia is in my top ten. Uh, but anyways, and I just said we have this podcast and we want to do a contest. Would you be willing to give us a copy of One Night Ultimate Werewolf? Thinking he may not even respond. You know, he doesn't right. he doesn't need to respond. I mean, he probably gets these requests all the time. But no, Bezier Games. Ted Alspach responds to me. He says, you know what? I'm not just going to give you One Night Ultimate Werewolf. I'm also going to give you One Night Ultimate Werewolf Daybreak and a playmat. It's amazing. Unbelievable generosity from Bezier Games. I don't even know if he looked at our podcast or anything. I think he maybe recognized me because I've backed a lot of their Kickstarters. And I guess this is one um, a testament to our hobby, that the, the people in this hobby are just amazing. They are. And it's a, it's a, it's a small community. And, you know, you can really network with publishers and designers and other podcasters very easily. Right. And, you know, I think that may have um, played to our benefit a bit here. But he not only uh, told me he was going to do this, but he followed through. And we actually have the games with us right now. In hand. That's right. So that is our going to be our contest to win a copy of One Night Ultimate Werewolf, One Night Ultimate Werewolf Daybreak. And a One Night Ultimate Werewolf Daybreak playmat. Now, what do you need to do to enter this contest? What do you need to do? So what have we been asking you to do every episode for at least two or three episodes? We want you to join our guild. It's a pretty simple request, but we're going to take it a bit further. We want you to join our guild. If you're already a member of our guild, that's great. But whether or not you're a member, uh, join our guild or be a member of our guild and then send us an email at... Out of game podcast at gmail.com. That's out of game podcast at gmail.com. Email us your board game geek user ID and then ask us a question. Any question that you want us to answer on the show. So let me repeat that. We need you to join our guild or already be a member of our guild. Then email us at out of game podcast at gmail.com telling us your board game geek user ID so we can prove that you're in the guild and then ask us a question that you want us to answer on the show. 
So not only will you win the game if you're randomly drawn, but we'll answer the question. So it's you get two things out of it. Right. And I should say there is one thing I, I want to say. If you're an international listener, I'm just going to copy what um, the Secret Cabal does because I think it's good. We'll pay the first $10 of shipping internationally. Anything after that would be your responsibility if you if you win. And we're going to choose the winner by uh, random randomness. Yeah, I heard we have a lot of listeners in the Singapore region. We might. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but to be clear, it is a random draw. Is that is that correct? That's correct. So everyone will have a single entry, everyone that, that goes through the steps. And we're going to announce the winner on our next episode. So I'm going to set an expiration uh, on this contest of... March 2nd. March 2nd, 2015. So March 2nd, 2015 at 11.59 p.m. is the expiration. I like doing the 11.59 thing. You know, so many people do the midnight thing, and it it always confuses me. Right, because is it today or tomorrow? Nobody knows. Yeah. So 11.59 p.m., very clear. March 2nd. Okay. Can I enter? No. Why not? (laughs) Because... (laughs) All right. Can people enter more than once? No. No. Because you only have well, one. Just being clear. One user ID. So members of the podcast and their families, not eligible. Yeah. Anybody that's listening, all eligible. Right. It would be smart for you to enter this contest. But if you don't win, you need to be also be smart about how you purchase your board games. And that's what we're going to discuss next. We get this feeling when a box of cookies on the shelf. Me want to grab it, want to eat it, can't control myself. But now me know that self-control is something me must do. Me want to grab it, want to eat it, but me wait. Me want it, but me wait. So we're going to discuss how to make smart board game purchases. Yeah, you know, the, I have an interesting thought on this. It's 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 a fascinating question because... My first thought would be that you're the the worst authority figure. That's on, true on this, on this subject. But <laughs> I know after thinking, it, you know, like what, what what are my opinions on this? I know that you're going to have a much better answer huh. than me. You'll have much more to talk about, and it's going to be much more interesting. Maybe mine's more theoretical, though. It could be. I, I just think that you'll have a, a better take on it. Um, I'm, I'm going to let you. I'll let you go first because I'm, I'm. I'm very curious. I mean, you, you're, you have the the magic number problem. You've got an addiction problem. You've got an obsessive problem, and purchasing a game. I don't know how much thought you actually put into it. So I don't. I don't know. I, I would really love to know your answer to this question. Okay. It seems like your criteria is the game has to exist. <laughs> that is not true. There are a lot of board games out there. Now, let me start by saying what you shouldn't do. Because I would say 20 of the 48 games that are unplayed on my shelf, maybe not 20, maybe like 10. So just to be clear, you have 48 games yes. on your shelf that have not been played. Yes. Okay. I I don't know if it's 20, but a good portion of those games I bought completely from just listening to a short review of the game. Not even looking at the game, uh, not doing really anything except just hearing a description of it. And then I saw it on like a discount shelf at a convention, or I may have traded for it, which is, you know, it's for the same rules apply. Uh, 
So that's what you shouldn't do. <laughs> you shouldn't just listen to a short description of a game. Like you shouldn't go out and buy five tribes from the five minute discussion that Chris and I just right. Had. You should at least look at the game, read the back of the box, and get a feel for if it's a game you might enjoy. Yeah, and I did a lot of when I first got into the hobby. I did a lot of purchasing without a lot of information, and those a lot of those games are still sitting on my shelf unplayed. That's a little bit like going to see a movie without. You know, like you see the previews for uh, Exodus with Christian Bale. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, Christian Bale, action movie. It's like the Ten Commandments remake. I need to go see it. But then you didn't really think it through. (laughs) It's Christian Bale. Yeah. And he's doing that thing where he's inflecting his voice louder with each syllable in the sentence. (laughs) And the movie ends up not being very good. Okay. So, So that's what I wanted to start with. So let me, one of the criteria that I have when I'm, making a game purchase and i guess i guess that i am by default saying that i make smart game purchases otherwise i couldn't use my criteria so one of the things that i think about is when you're buying a game one of the first well one of the first things you should think of is does anyone in your game group have that game so i think chris you're a good example of this of you've bought games that other people have in the group you don't play them at home, and you don't bring them to game night. So they're just sitting on your shelf. Like what? Like, uh, like well, um, the game that we can't mention. So well, I, well, I play that at home, though. Oh, okay. One Night Ultimate Werewolf. Okay. Yeah, that game I've gotten a lot of use out of. The one that I haven't is Resistance. You know, that's a game either you or somebody else has. Yeah, yeah. And there's, we, we both bring the game, and what's the point for me to even buy that game? But there, there was a couple times... There was a time you were out when uh, Ava was born and you weren't playing, and then we wanted to play Resistance, so okay. it's a good thing I had it. So yeah, if your friends have it, obviously, yeah, it, it's a it's a factor of do they have it, or will you play this game without your friends that happen to have it? Right. So I think of the people that are consistent members of my game group. I think of their collections as an extension of my collection. So Cyclades is a good example of a game. What game? I don't, I don't remember that. It's game. called Cyclades. Cyclades. Yeah, I have to look up the the pronunciation, the phonetic pronunciation of the oh, game. Oh, 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 Cyclades. <laughs> okay. So that's a game I really enjoyed playing, and but I, I don't think I would buy it because someone brings it to game night yeah. every month. Right. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, Ross has that game. I. If there were a game that I was going to buy, that would probably be like top of my list. Mm-hmm. But you're exactly right. What's the point? Uh, if somebody else owns the game, I, I don't really. Need, I'm not going to play that game outside of that game group, even though I love the game. Right, and that kind of leads me into my second criteria: is who, when you buy a game, who will you play that game with? So this could be whether or not someone else has the game. But if I'm if I'm looking at a game, a, a perfect example of this is there's a game right now by uh, Uwe Rosenberg, who's one of my favorite designers, called Fields of Arl. I think I even talked about this in the show before. It's a uh, uh, Uwe Rosenberg is the designer of Caverna and Agricola, and this this game is it's like a t- it's a complex two player game. So I would love to own this game. You know, I've thought about buying it, but I ultimately decided not to buy it because. I don't have anyone that I play complex two-player games with. Esther, you know, she wouldn't play like a more like a really complex two-player game with me, so that's out. My game groups are all multiple people. We're not like sitting down and playing two-player games. And I have a game. Uh, I have the game War of the Ring, which it's a it's a two-player game. It's supposed to be an amazing game, 
about the Lord of the Rings. And I, it's, I, that's the game that's been on my shelf the longest that I haven't played because I just don't have anyone to play a game like that with. So when you're, when you're, when you're evaluating a game for purchase, you have to think, who will I play with? Does, will this game work well with the types of play situations that I have? If you don't have anyone to play two-player complex games with, don't buy a, two, a complex two-player game. Right. If you don't have anyone to play a war game with, don't buy a war game. Um, so that that's, I think, one of the criteria that, that I look at. Well, the other thing is you, uh, you're you a little brave when it comes to purchasing. In other words, I'm a little hesitant to, to buy a game that I haven't actually played because it's, it's always risky you know, if this game's going to work out. And I'm sure everybody out there has experienced where you buy a game and it just you, you almost regret it because you either you don't like it or your friends don't like it and you, you, it just sits on your shelf um, because it's not wanted yeah. you know, for whatever reason. But what you'll do, you'll you'll roll the dice on this. And if you don't like the game, there you have options. Like you you have your trading network where you could you could trade it for something else. I'm sure you could sell it on eBay, things like that. I, I'm a little hesitant to buy a game that I've never actually played because I don't I'm fearful that it's first of all, I'm not as good at reading rules and figuring the game out. I need to explain right. or watch the YouTube or whatever. But secondly, what's the what's the uh, what are the odds that i'm gonna be happy with it i mean these games aren't typically 10 20 they're like double triple that yeah so you want to be a little bit sure right that, you're, that at least the odds to be at least 51 percent that you're gonna uh, be happy with this purchase yeah and you know i would if i was in your situation or if i had the the likes and dislikes that you had i would probably be more hesitant to buy games because i think I think you're overall more picky about what games you like than I am. I tend to be more open-minded to different styles of games and I can enjoy different types of games. Whereas, you know, you could, you could easily check out of certain types of games because of the way the game is designed. High maintenance player. Well, the other thing I would say about that is there there's every game group has the game ambassador, there's somebody who's like the ambassador of gaming in each group. Ambassador of gaming. And someone has to take that role. And I think I, I'm the one yeah. who has that role in our group. They're the, pers- you they're, are. they're the person pushing the games, you know, keeping people up to date on what's happening, organizing the game nights, you know, like keep, they're like the glue that keeps everything together. You're absolutely right about that. In fact, the gaming companies, they, they could pay you commission for, <laughs> for the, you're, you're pushing all these games and getting everybody hooked on them. Yeah, that actually a topic that we should discuss sometime that we've talked about um, offline is is who does a game company love more? Someone like me who buys tons of games, or someone like Chris who buys maybe like one game a year? Well, of course they love you more. Well, but you made an argument that that they don't that they like you just as much as me. So we'll have to talk about that sometime. <laughs> what was? Do you remember what my point was? I don't. I must have had some point, but I can't think of it. We'll now. dig up that email and we'll we'll rehash that sometime on on the oh air because that was a that was an interesting uh, dis- that, debate we had know, one time. I, I do remember that now. <laughs> That's that's interesting. Um, so yeah, the gaming ambassador generally is the person who buys the most games. So you know, I have a budget of that I that you I do. I have a budget that I allot to buy. No, a you game. don't. Yeah, I There's do. No budget. I do. Get out of here. There's no budget. <laughs> I have a budget. The, the budget shifts. It, it like, maybe a little bit. Need? Yeah, <laughs> maybe a little bit. But I do try to adhere to a budget. 
you would be amazed at how many games I have on my list of, I, I keep a list of games I want to purchase. And it's a pretty long list, even after all the games I have. There's just so many good games out there. That That's the thing. Yeah. And I don't know what my, I just, it's like I want to have it so that I, I can have fulfillment from board gaming for the rest of my life. Like I'm trying to build up a collection of games that will, that will keep me entertained. For, you're preparing for the end. Yeah. Like if there's, if there's like a zombie apocalypse, I'm going to be set. I'm going to bar up the doors and windows and play board games. Well, you have to let people into play though. Oh yeah. And we have to produce food somehow, but the, you know, that's hey, a, Speaking of zombies, you have a new game. I do. I, uh, one of the 48 games is dead of winter. Finally got dead it. Of winter. So we're going to be playing that and hopefully it's as amazing as it sounds. So we can, uh, we can talk about that one on Maybe the show. We can mention it next podcast. Cause we have a, a game night coming up. Yeah. A third, another one that I had is when you're buying games and honestly, I don't adhere to this one as much as I should. It's, do you have other games that do the same thing? <laughs> You don't adhere to that at all. I know. So I think <laughs> Why did you even write that <laughs> because I think for a normal person purchasing games, this would be a good rule to follow. Right. Uh, there's a theory out there called the Jones theory. It's from Cody Jones from game on with Cody and John, an old amazing podcast that they retired. Uh, it's actually, John was the person that I emailed uh, side note about audio equipment. He gave me a really detailed response. So thanks John for that. Um, but anyways, the Jones theory is that um, when you're buying a game, uh, you shouldn't basically it's that you shouldn't have more than one game on your shelf that fills the same niche. Did I say niche? Is it niche or niche? It's uh, I like niche better. So. Okay. So it fills the same niche. Yeah. Uh, so when you're buying games, you should, if you're following, adhering to the Jones theory, you should, you should think of this. So for example, you really shouldn't have more than one game on your shelf that is a cooperative game with a hidden trader. <laughs> so that would be like Shadows Over Camelot. And Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar Galactica. And now Walking Dead. Or not Walking Dead, Dead of Winter. But aren't they different enough? They're different themes, but the mechanism is very similar. Like how you feel when you're playing it is, is pretty similar. Yeah. So now I'm more, when you're doing the Jones theory, you have to, you have to create your own categories for what the niches are. Right. So for me, mine are more granular. I like the fact that the games are different themes. Cause one night I might want a Monty Python theme shadows over Camelot. One night I might want a Battlestar theme. Battlestar, or I might want a Walking Dead theme, Dead of Winter. Right. So, you know, I, I I do consider the theme, but not everyone would. They would just say, cooperative game with a trader. I only want one of those on my shelf. Right, right. So if you already have one, you shouldn't buy a new one. Right. The games, another criteria might be the quick games, like uh, Resistance. Is It's a quick game. There's other quick games, too. One Night Ultimate Werewolf. So you've got, uh, you know, we've got 20 minutes to get a game in. We could play either one of those. Right, right. So I think for a normal person purchasing games, I think this is a good rule to follow. I think you should only break this rule if you're if you're if you know for a fact that the new game is better than the one you have. In which case, you should probably just get rid of the one you have. That would be the Jones theory. Okay. Now for me, I wouldn't care. I would just keep them both probably. <laughs> of course. Um, okay. Did you? Uh, I've been uh, talking a lot here, Chris. No, I'm, I've been chiming in. So okay. You just keep going. So let me let me continue down the list. One one rule that I've had trouble with that I've started to refine is am I making myself be interested in a game? <laughs> so, 
so there are some games when the first time yeah. I hear about it, I'm instantly interested in, and that would be dead of winter is a good example. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't need to do have any effort whatsoever to become interested in that game. When I first heard about it, I was like, this game sounds amazing. I, I want to have it. But there are other times where I've never, I've never heard of a game. Mm-hmm. It'll get mentioned on like a podcast or something. And then I'll like, you know, I'll be in my car and I'll like make a note, you know, like an audio note, like oh, I, I should look into that game later. And then, and then I'm like, it's like I'm forcing myself to become interested. Yeah. And why am I doing that? You're, we could spend an episode on that. <laughs> so you're doing that because you have a problem, and and we, we have to talk about this problem at some point. Your magic number is 48. It's going the wrong direction. Yeah. Uh, like I said, the game has to exist. Right. I think the number one criteria for you not to buy a game is the first one you mentioned, which is uh, if somebody else has it, like Cyclades or, yeah. or whatever, however you want to pronounce it. You, that will stop you because somebody has the game. You can still play that game in, with your gaming group. The other criteria, that, that, that you don't use the, that other criteria. <laughs> I mean, if you go through the, the list... The bullet list of criteria that you named, you you don't even use that. Those are just ideas that make sense. Right. Those aren't ideas that you actually apply. I don't I think I'm an outlier though. I, I don't think that I'm the standard board game purchaser. So the criteria is like a criteria that makes sense. This is theoretical criteria that I should be following and right. I think other people should follow. Right. I, I really enjoyed hearing the way you described how you force yourself to like a game that that's fascinating to me. I, that doesn't happen to me, but I see it as the third, third party looking down and I see you like you fall in love with a game just by hearing a little bit about it. That's when you told me about uh, the zombie game. Yeah. You know, my first reaction was, um, yeah, okay. But then when you described it, when you actually described the game, I, I got sucked into it. Like this game sounds really good. Yeah. Uh, so it's a little bit of boy who cried wolf there where I, I just like, yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's really good, Ryan. Right. But, but yeah, I think, I think the, the items that you listed do make sense for the average person for sure. Yeah. And you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts and for however much that I can get you interested in a game, there are people out there on these podcasts that they have a way of a describing a game that just makes me want to buy it. It like, it, it's, so what they call in the secret cabal, they call it the acqu- acquisition disorder. It starts triggering when they start talking about these games. It's like this, it starts flaring up. And it's, sometimes it's like, I need to take a step back and have, and take a breather, wow. you know, force myself to like wait a day and see if I'm still interested. Who else out there listening has this? I'm not, now I'm curious because I don't think you're alone. I think there are people who have that trigger. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of interesting. I don't know why. I don't know where. I don't know how it happens. But I have seen it before, and you clearly have that. And I think that's one of the reasons the gaming industry is doing so well, too, is because people, you get enjoyment just from buying the game, from unwrapping the game. Yeah. I've seen you and a couple other guys in our group. I, I've watched. You don't know that I'm watching, but you're unwrapping the game, and you look way too happy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, look, you're, you're taking the pieces out of the bag. Yeah. We're not even playing the game yet. I smell the games too. Of course, you've not you seen do. that. <laughs> of course, I, I open the rule book and I huff it. <laughs> it's good stuff. Yeah. So I think I think that's a fascinating topic we should cover in the future. Yeah. So, but the point is, if the game isn't grabbing you, don't pursue it to to make it grab you. Just let it go. Wait until there are games that are really grabbing your attention because what inevitably 
inevitably happens to me is the games that I kind of force myself to like are the ones that sit on my shelf the longest because the heat, you know, dies down. It's gone, yeah. And then it's like, okay, you know, I'm still kind of interested in it, but the games that really grab me are always going to grab me, and those are the ones I'm going to want to play first. Yeah, absolutely. So what I've st- what I have started doing is something I think everyone should do is you should you should watch as many video reviews as you can of a game uh, before you buy it. Now, not every not all video reviewers are the same. So there are some good ones and there are some not so good ones. Um, two of the best ones, the ones that I always choose first, are the Dice Tower Tom Vassell's reviews. Um, and uh, someone called Rado, who does uh, he does like full walkthroughs of games. Those are a little longer, but if you take the time to watch those, um, you're either going it's either going to solidify your interest in a game or make you realize that you maybe don't want it. So you'll get enough information to make yeah. an informed decision. Yeah, and you could save yourself some some money. So you do that or don't do? That? I do do this now. Then, then why? Okay, go ahead. Well, I don't do it with I don't I actually no, I do this with almost every game I buy now. Is I, I watch enough video reviews to get a sense of what type of game and it when is. When did you you started this like last week? I started this a couple months ago. Okay. <laughs> Shut up. So before the New Year's resolution? <laughs> yeah. So what was your magic number on January 1st, 2015? I think it was in the lower 30s. Lower 30s. And what is it now? It's 48. 48. So it's gone up. And the resolution was to reduce it to? Yeah. Uh, below 20. Below 20. So what we have is a, an upward sloping graph. <laughs> but I've got a lot of time. Okay. I've got to dedicate some time to getting that number down. I'm just wondering if the video reviews are working. I, well, in some cases, it's making me more interested. Good point. But there have been times, but the number might be higher if I didn't watch video reviews. Because wow. <laughs> for every one that I've watched, there's been, and bought a game, there's been two or three that I've watched and lost interest. It, just a quick side note, for anybody who doesn't know, can you explain the magic number, just in case they're, they're new to the show? Well, okay, so we've mentioned it multiple times, but it's the number of games that I own on my shelf that I haven't played. Right, so it's the, the games, it, they're the unplayed games that you own. Right. That's a very short way of saying it. Yeah. And yeah, it's 48 right now. That's a lot. I know. You know, most people don't even own 48 games. <laughs> That's true. You have 48 that you haven't played. That's true. It's very interesting. Do you have any more comments about this? No, I'm, I'm having fun. But so I'm how's your resolution fun. going? Why don't we segue into that real quick? Okay, well, so my New Year's resolution is Because <laughs> you're about different. to break it right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe I've broken it. So... Gosh, it sounds it sounds horrible to say, but my New Year's resolution is to be less annoying during game night. But I think honestly, a lot of people in our group could use that resolution. <laughs> <laughs> but in fairness, I I tend to speak out and I get impatient, and people are taking their their turns a little long, and I uh, I have a filter problem sometimes. And um, you know, I in my defense, I think that it's um, fun when the game is going on. Like, I think I'm, it's not like I'm a black cloud on the game. But at the same time, I want to make a better effort not to to do... Uh, you, remember those chips you had where you would give them to people, like if they're slow or if they're... Yeah, yeah. There was one for, like, complaining. Uh, the crybaby. The, there's a, the crybaby, crybaby token. You would, you, you would hand that out. And, you know, everybody's guilty of this sometimes about just being kind of whiny during the game. <laughs> yeah. My New Year's resolution was to, 
you know, keep those thoughts to yourself. Try to be a little more pleasant. You know, just make the world a better place. Be so happy. how'd you do in the last game night? I can't answer that. You have to answer that. Yeah, I, I think you did fine. I didn't play the games at the end with you, though. Did you have any issues in the final the final games of the night? No, um, I did not. Okay. I, I think that was good. I think the there there are a couple Achilles heel games I have that resistance is the worst. Resistance right? for whatever, and I love the game. That's the funny thing, but for, it brings out the worst in me. I'm I I turn nasty during that game. I don't know why, but I'm making a conscious effort, getting better. Okay, so back to my final rule, and this is the most laughable one for me to even consider writing down on my list. <laughs> It's hard to even say this with a straight face. Go ahead. So the final rule I have <laughs> is, uh, so uh, how many unplayed games do you already have? Right. So how many unplayed games you already have should be a factor. <laughs> if we're understanding Ryan correctly, the, the amount of unplayed games you have should be a factor in deciding, should I buy this new game or not? So what should the limit be? What do you think a normal limit would be? I would say if I had, uh, what do I have? I have maybe one unplayed game right now. Yeah. I think the average person probably is under 10, let's say. So I think once you get around 10, you're starting to have a problem. Okay. When you get around 15 to 20, um, that's people are going to get that on the radar, that what is this guy's problem, that he's got 20 unplayed games, and he's going to the store <laughs> to buy yet another one. And then when he walks out of the store, he's carrying three. <laughs> so then it gets up to around the 30s. Now, the 30s are interesting because that's when you might make a New Year's resolution. Right. To say, you know, I need to bring my Because you've down. established that you have a problem <laughs> once you get you've to 30. You've established that and you're aware <laughs> of it. And the first step in solving the problem is admitting that you have the problem. It's right. The recognition. So that's where you were less than two months ago. Right. You were at third, in the low 30s. Now you're in the upper 40s. Now, when you cross 50, we're talking intervention time. <laughs> we're going to show up at Tim's and there's going to be nine of us, nine or 10 of us there. And... When you walk in, we'll all look at you at the same time. The house will go quiet. You'll have your three gigantic bags filled with games. You're going to have to set them down. And we're going we're gonna to have a talk. Ryan, I think you've got a problem. Yeah. That, might, that might be next game night. If, it could be. There's two more. Yeah. So just to recap, the idea of the criteria for purchasing, purchasing a new game, one of the first things I said when we talked about this was that you weren't a good authority figure on it. Right. But that you would have some interesting things to add. And that's exactly what happened. You, your, your bullet list of the criteria are exactly what you know, a gamer should consider when they buy a new game. Should being the operative should. word. But you, but you don't follow it. That's, right. that's the interesting thing. Right. I've, I allow myself to break these rules because, and, and I'm going to go and I'm going to defend myself a little bit. Okay. I allow myself to break these rules because I get a lot of enjoyment out of not just playing games, but the whole process of learning about games, watching video reviews, listening to podcasts. I love sitting down and opening games, organizing them, reading the rules, believe it or not. I like, I like teaching games to people. I like to bring a new experience to someone that they enjoy. I enjoy all of those things about gaming, not just sitting down to play a game. Right. And that, that's a good point because a lot of people come down on 
Las Vegas for that reason. Like if a lot of people go to Vegas and lose money. I mean, if if you went to Vegas to make money, Vegas wouldn't be Vegas. So obviously people are losing money. But, you know, if you have a couple hundred dollars and you go down there and you're not breaking the bank, you're not going to the ATM, you know, you have kind of a fixed amount of money and you lose it there. But you're having fun. Yeah. You know, you're you're playing games too and you're and you're you're enjoying yourself for all that time. You know, it's entertainment. You're paying for entertainment. So if you're dropping, you know, 40, 50 bucks and you're getting that same value out of it, you know, 40 bucks, you're, it's, that's like going out to eat, mm-hmm. you know, take your family out or, you know, maybe go to uh, with a group to the movies or to a baseball game, you know, things like that. You come home without that money, but you've had fun. So if you're buying the games and you're ripping the plastic off and, you know, you're smelling the rule book and all these things you're talking about are fun for you, then, hey. Yeah. What's wrong with it? You're not hurting anybody, right? Yeah. The gaming companies love you. So yeah. everybody's happy. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, if, if you have, there's a lot of if you this, if you that, and that, and what Chris just said. Obviously, it's something I didn't put on here, but if you don't have the money to buy games and you need that money for like supporting your family or getting by in life, you shouldn't be buying board games. <laughs> That's an obvious well, rule. You shouldn't. You should be limiting what you buy. You know, you could buy some. It's, all, you, it's all in moderation. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I like, I like looking at my wall of games. I get a lot of. I get fulfillment out of just sitting and looking at them. How many minutes per week do you just stare at the wall? Not that long. Not that many. Like, but there are times like there are times where I'll just sit. In, uh, there are times where I'll go down just to get some downtime, and I'll sit in my room and I'll just stare at them. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll think about like you know which games I want to play, and like I'll remember things about certain games that we played. So yeah. you know, it is what it is. That's awesome. I am who I am. You are. Embrace it. <laughs> I think I have. Yes. Anything else to add? No, I think that's that's good. So um, I think that's it for episode six. Interesting stuff. Like like I said, or like Ryan said earlier, we'll talk about the role playing games. We, we had a lot of interesting things we we're going to talk about, about role-playing games. Uh, we'll put that off for a couple podcasts now, and we'll get back to that, we promise. Yep. So, um, again, don't forget our contest. Our contest. That's, <laughs> this is the that, South. That's a big contest. This is South. Uh, Bezier Games, uh, thank you for providing games for our contest. Uh, join our guild. Email us your ID and ask us a question. And you're playing for... You're playing for a copy of One Night Ultimate Werewolf, Ultimate Werewolf Daybreak, and a Playmat. Playmat. It's a really fun game. It's one of those games you could play in, what, 10, 20 minutes? Yeah. You get a game in, you play it, play again, play again. It's a fun yep. game. And if you want to hear more about that game, listen to our first episode and ignore the audio quality. <laughs> because it's horrible. Yeah, the, it, that was well before we perfected it. <laughs> um, perfected might be an overstatement. Well, I think we'll, we'll have to listen to this one sounds. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so you can uh, again join our guild. You can reach us on Twitter at OOG Podcast. Those are honestly, I know we mentioned a lot of different ways to contact us, but those are really the only two we actively participate on. We meaning me. So uh, if you want to, if you want to follow us, I think the best way to get info from us is on Twitter. Um, but we want the guild to really be the place where all of our our listeners can interact with each other and with us. And if you go out to the guild, you'll see that you know we do respond to pretty much anything people post out there. It's guild nineteen ninety. Yeah, nineteen ninety, best year, ten years after I was born. Is it? Yeah. How many years after you were born was that? A lot more than that. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So Twitter is at OOG Podcast. Yep. Our email is outofgamepodcast at gmail.com. And our website is outofgamepodcast.com. But share it with people. So, you know, if you share it, post it on your Twitter feed, let people know about our contest. People aren't going to do that. They should do that. It'll reduce their chances of winning. Yeah, that's true. Try to win. What would their motivation be? You're going to love this game. (laughs) Well, we're going to be posting it. We will. We will. We're going to have a lot of people entering. Uh, people want this. People are, you know, everybody loves free stuff. Yeah, so, I don't. Uh, don't tell anybody if you don't want to. But <laughs> if, if you do tell them, just tell them to listen to the podcast because we're not going to post the rules on the website. Yeah, and we're actually not allowed to post them on Board Game Geek for some reason. Right. Um, so anyway, I think that's it. Anything else to add? I think that's all. It was an interesting discussion tonight. Hope everybody enjoyed it, and please hit us with questions. Yep. All right. Thanks everyone, and good night. Good night. Okay, me waited long enough. Cookie! Um, nom, 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 n